this week's episode of Living Well While Living Online. I am your host, Tammy Riley. And this week, we are actually replaying an episode that aired during our first season. It was back in November of 2020. And it was the Thanksgiving week episode uh, with myself and Natasha Machiavelli. My Tash. And it's been two years since she's passed away, for those of you who do know her and have been following. And while time does help, we do know that. There's still such a huge hole. There's still so many days that it's hard to wrap my brain around the fact that it's been two years and that she really won't just show up someplace on my doorstep at some random beach where I am, I still hold on to that hope. And I'm sure for anybody who has lost somebody in the past that you share these feelings that while things will get easier, um, that feeling probably never goes away, or at least that's what I'm realizing. So I do feel her everywhere all the time. She makes her presence known in so many little ways. Uh, That's a comfort for sure, but it's still, all of that is just even more wrapped up and intertwined in my grief. And this is going to sound so silly, but there's a thing with the iPhones that when you take a picture at the sun, oftentimes there's a weird reflection and it's a turquoise dot. And you know, people who know Tosh, she was a turquoise girl. She loved it. So as simple as it might sound, every time I see that dot, like I know it's her. Usually it is when I'm on the beach taking a picture of the sun and that's where she lived, right? She's such a sun girl and a beach girl. And so I have these moments of, "Ah, she's with me. And then, uh, right, that definite roller coaster that happens. So looking back at this actual conversation, I can't help but think how intentional she was with everything she gave us. Pockets of joy living through such an incredibly hard time of not being able to really comprehend what was going on and to feeling such, feel such grief and heaviness, but at the same time, try to convince myself that it was okay to have these pockets of joy, these moments of joy. And, and it's true, right? It's what I tell others, right? We have the capacity to have both to sit in the heaviness of the grief and the sadness, and yet have a moment where we feel blessed, where something is beautiful, where we laugh out loud. And it is really what I clung to during these past two years. I really treasure more and more the idea of these pockets of joy. I'm sure for many of us or any of us who have dealt with grief and loss, you you know what I'm talking about. We almost don't feel like we deserve or we should be having a moment where we're enjoying ourselves. But my friends, we all know that that's what we should do. And we know that our loved one would want us to. So again, it's almost as if she was sending me a notice before I needed it, right? Sending me a message to say, find those pockets of joy. Life might be hard but there's going to be other things that are going to light you up and that's okay. I thought it would be appropriate to re-air this conversation 
since two years have gone by, to hear her voice again, to reconnect to her words of wisdom. Or for those of you who are new to the podcast or maybe don't know Natasha, to really be able to share this soul sister with with all of us. She was really a special person. We know that she is with us in so many ways, so please honor her. Sorry. Honor her by practicing one of the self-care activities that she shares with us in this episode. So it's a raw nerve. I apologize in advance for the actual intro to the episode that I blubbered my way through. Um, honestly, when when we had that episode sitting in our hands and she had got sick and passed, I, I just did not know what I was supposed to do with that. And it all happened so quickly, the the passing, her sickness, the passing, and then the decision of what to do with the with the podcast. And I'm going to be completely honest with all of you. While I can relive so many of the moments of that podcast in my head, I have yet to be able to listen to it again. I'm hoping that after two years, I'm ready to. So enjoy because she's so lovely and embrace everything that she shares. And I wish you a lovely, lovely week. Thank you for listening. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Thanksgiving episode of Living Well While Living Online, a production of the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio, and I'm your host, Tammy Riley. This episode is going to require just a little bit longer introduction, and I'm going to ask you to just bear with me as I ride out the roller coaster that it's been since we recorded this. This is an episode with my dear friend, Natasha. Many of my listeners will know her, as I know many of you are following because you're part of my fitness community and many of my friends, so you all know um, what has been happening. And to those of you who might be newer to to me and just learning about our podcast, I want to give you some context from where this is coming from. I'm going to take a deep breath. My heart is pounding and I want to be coherent. So Natasha was one of the people that I initially asked to do this podcast, and she kept deflecting. She's so funny. She was like, oh, what about this one? I really think you should ask this other person. I don't think I have anything to say. And it was maybe end of September, early October, and we were chatting, and she said, you know, I've been listening. I'm really enjoying your episodes. And I've changed my mind. I want to do this with you. And so we set up our date and we sat down. And, and that's not easy for those of you who, who don't know. And you'll see in, in her bio, um, Natasha's originally from Australia, but at the time she's living in, in Bali. Um, we talk a lot. Thank God for WhatsApp and, and Facebook chats. And we've always, um, because we live so far apart. We've always relied on on this, but definitely in in the time of COVID, when we've looked to reach out to you know our people and our connections, we've definitely made more of a point to chat. So we set up our our times. It was my early morning, and it was her late night because that's how things <laughs> roll when you live on 
opposite sides of the world. And we did our first podcast. And since it was early morning for me, I got off and I was really busy that day with work. <laughs> and I kept thinking back and it was a really long, rambly podcast. <laughs> I cried through the whole thing, not going to lie. And right, we're no reason, but you know, those of you who know know us know that we tend to just cry <laughs> when we're together. It's one of those things in a good way. And she went right to bed after the podcast. And so late later that night, I got an email from her saying, oh my God, what the heck happened? Can we do that again? And I was like, oh, thank you. I didn't know how to tell her. So we rescheduled, we regrouped, and we put together this episode, which we were both much happier with. It, it definitely reflected more of a conversation that we wanted to share with the world. So we said the first one was one that we needed to have, and this one was the one we wanted to share. Little did we know that a few weeks that a few weeks later, Natasha would get very sick and be hospitalized and in a crazy turn of events, pass away. And I wasn't sure what I should do with this episode, but somehow I did know in my heart that I had to do it. And I feel like it was her nudging me through, telling me that she really wanted to share this conversation, her wisdom, her reflections with others. And I reached out to her family who I cannot imagine how hard this has all been. And they gracefully consented to letting us share this with you. Natasha had been healing for the last year. Her spinning studio, which we don't discuss in this podcast, but it had burned to the ground. She worked so hard to get to that point, and it was really devastating and traumatic, to say the least. So the past year had been one of healing for her. So I love that she had come up with so many really amazing ways of nurturing herself, of administering self-care, and of navigating this roller coaster that we're all on. She definitely was one of the most important people in my life, but I loved how most people who know her could say that same thing. She was so connected with people, she says in the podcast. It's her superpower, and it certainly is. But she made everyone feel special and really made efforts to stay connected and in touch with everyone. She was always connecting people and events and finding ways for us to be together. And, and she and I brainstormed so many so many times on how we could just be together again. And uh, thankfully, spinning was a big vehicle for that. She and I also worked for a program called Intrinity. And then she created uh, her own fitness conference with some amazing people in Jamaica just to bring us all together, right? It's always been about connection. And Tasha and I would do some women's retreats together and spend a lot of time talking about self-care and healing and being kinder to ourselves. So the conversation you're going to hear today is not an unusual one for us, but it's always just so beautiful to ask specific questions and 
hear the really thoughtful and important answers that someone wants to share, not just with their best friend listening on the phone, but with everyone. So what I'd ask you to do is as you listen to this episode, see if you can do it at a time when you can really be fully present to savor the conversation as if she's having it specifically with you. Because I know that that's how she would want you to feel. And I don't cue this up to make you feel sad and to bring you down. I'm really so honored to share this with you all because she was so special and special to me. So I just ask you to just maybe listen a little more fully and take to heart some of her important messages. And if you did not know her, I want you to feel connected to Natasha like the rest of us do after hearing this conversation. So settle in, friends, and enjoy. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to this week's episode of Living Well While Living Online. It's Thanksgiving week, so happy Thanksgiving, and I am really excited to share our guest this week in in honor of Thanksgiving and my gratitude for Mm -hmm. who she is and her place that she has in my heart, Um, my my girl, Natasha. I call her Tosh. Um, And she is coming to us via Bali, although she's from Australia, and she will give you uh, a little bio and share all that. And she and I, she's another one of my um, my group that I've collected through my my fitness world. And I love how we go out and we, we're, we're doing something new in a, in a place, you know, you have no idea and you just keep yourself open. And I ended up finding one of the best friends that I um, could ever ask for. So Tosh, welcome to my podcast. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Such a lovely introduction. Thank you. <laughs> well, Thank you deserve you. it. Could you please tell our listeners a little bit about you, your life? And of course, everyone here is Bali and now they're excited. So how did you end up there? And and uh, yeah, give us a, a quick little down low on everything going on. Sure. All right. So I have a note, life story in three minutes or less, and I do have a timer. So um, <laughs> short version. We are so Australian born, obviously, by the accent, but my parents are Italian, immigrated to Australia when they were young. Um, I've worked most of my adult life in the fitness industry, so 25 years or so, a little bit longer. Um, When I was younger, had just finished school, my family and I moved to Italy for five years. And that was, I guess, where my um, need to exercise even started. I put on a little bit of weight, more than I had when I was a teenager, started working out and then just found this kind of passion. A lot of kids in Australia are really fit when they go to school, exercise a lot. Sport is really common in Australia, but it was never something that I was very interested in. So um, we were in Italy for about five years. And when I moved back to Australia, I um, went into the industry, got my qualifications and then just worked in, oh my gosh, every pocket of 
the industry that I could kind of sink my teeth into. I started off, you know, doing step touches and grapevines <laughs> back in the mid nineties and uh, moved into personal training. Body pump was a thing that I taught for maybe 15 years, I think. Um, and then I did my spinning certification. So back then, you know, aerobics was the real kind of fashionable thing, step Reebok aerobics, but it was never really something that I was very good at. So the athletic side of some of the programs that I was teaching, um, like spinning because it was cycling, body pump because it was lifting weights, um, was something that I really kind of enjoyed early on. Um, I went into, oh gosh, group exercise management, commercial fitness equipment sales, education, and then right place, right time ended up working for Mad Dog Athletics, which is how you and I obviously met. So being in Australia, I was chosen to be a representative for uh, spinning in Australia, which was back late 90s. And uh, I didn't really start traveling with the education maybe until early 2000. Um, we, uh, at that time, I represented Australia as well as all of Southeast Asia and New Zealand. Um, so we, I was, yeah, traveling a lot for the program, which was two of my favorite things together. So, you know, that I was able to teach, it was fitness related and I was able to travel, which was something that I really loved to do from when we lived overseas. Um, and then I think I went into um, you know, I, I, we have spoken about this before that the fitness industry isn't really considered a real job. I think my mum was waiting until I was like, okay, so when are you going to like get a real job, you know, that you're not wearing sweatpants and, and sneakers to work. So I did try to have a real job for about five years. When my daughter was at school, I went into event management for a little while, liked it, was good at it, but didn't really love it and uh, then moved into vocational education, uh, which I loved. And I think, which was maybe about 12 years ago, I came out of, a, you know, a teaching to, you know, health clubs or in the fitness industry from a club level and went more into education. So, um, and just really found my, my um, joy in delivering information to ripe and eager young minds. And so working with spinning and then when I was working for um, a vocational institute in Melbourne at the time, um, yeah, it was it was um, able to share knowledge that I had, had had learned, had, you know, been passed on and then was able to pass it on. So, um yeah, I guess then fast forward, whatever, 20-odd years after that, um, my daughter was towards the end of her education. I was getting itchy feet to move out of Australia and spent the last few years working in industry internationally, um, just in lots of, again, different roles, mentoring and leadership roles within the industry, and uh, landed in Bali a few years ago. So still industry related um but you know now not just fitness i started teaching yoga um three or four years ago and uh yeah very very widespread i like to mm. i like to diversify it's so um interesting for people it's a little bit different now i think because 
fitness is such a booming industry and it is everywhere that you look. And we, we know these little small boutiques that are delivering experience and taking over. But back when we started, you know, it was a small pocket. And so it really was, it's so interesting when you say that it wasn't a real job. So many people didn't view what we did as a real job, you know, and, and honestly, for a lot of us, it wasn't the only job, like it was always real, but right. Think about how many things you had to do to, so we're very used to in this, in this role of fitness of doing a lot. We're doers of a lot of things because in order to make it, you've got to, oh my gosh, like. I think my first three or four years of working in industry, I taught at seven different health clubs. Mm. I taught between maybe 17 to 23, 24 classes a week. I did um, front desk reception hours. I did 20 hours of reception hours at four different health clubs. I even did a a graveyard shift. I would teach three classes during the day, uh, have a break, and then I was on reception from like six till midnight. And then I get up the next morning and do a six to 9am shift at reception, then teach three circuit classes, then go home and have lunch. Then it was crazy. So the juggle. Yeah. We just always juggled. And unless you had seven different things on the go, then you felt like, and you had to as well, like, cause you weren't, we're always contractors. We never got sick pay, holiday pay, um, it actually wasn't until I worked for TAFE that I had a full-time salary and I got sick pay and holiday pay and I thought, this is amazing. You mean you're going <laughs> right. to pay me to go on holidays? What? Um, yeah. And then it was yeah, education, for- so we got 10 weeks off a year and uh, and I got to teach and I got to hang out in a gym. I was like, what have I been running around the aerobics room for the last 15 years for? This is crazy. But that is how many people get their start and what a lot of people have to do, um, you know, teach four classes a day, which, you know, you think if you're an enthusiast or you like to work out or you try to do it every day, you know, taking a class is exhausting Mm -hmm. and then you go about your job. But like, you know, many of us and still like I was up early this morning, taught my class. Now I'm doing my my day job. Um, You know, I'm lucky that my my jobs, just like you, have all connected into fitness. So uh, teaching isn't the only thing I rely on, thank God, because I think about our bodies and I think uh, we're fortunate that it's taught us a lot and our bodies are pretty resilient um, maybe we've done too much. So, so we'll have to, uh, talk about the wear and tear on our body, but I will add one more thing that Natasha didn't mention in, in like her little bio, but she's an athlete. You're an accomplished athlete. You're an iron woman. Um, it was, you never lose that, that uh, title. You, you've competed, you've done it. It's incredible. It was a seven year stint. Um, that I did, I, yeah, started with 70.3, so half Ironman as my first race um, cause, cause you know, you don't start with something easy. And then I think I ended up doing 11 half Ironmans and, uh, and I did two full Ironmans. And the crazy thing is I was definitely not a swimmer. I actually couldn't swim. I like, I could dog paddle, but, um, I couldn't swim a 25 meter length of a pool. So I learned how to swim. And the thought of an Ironman, you know, it's like 2.6 miles or whatever it is. I don't even know. 3.8 kilometers, I think. Um, I thought I would never do an Ironman because I could not conceive swimming that far. Like that's actually kind of a long run for some people. And uh, it is crazy what happens when you hang out with people. Like if you drink the Kool-Aid, you end up kind of becoming a little bit crazy as well. So I 
trained with triathletes and everyone was doing an Ironman. So I went, okay, maybe I should give it a crack. And then I did it and actually did like reasonably well, better than I thought. And so I had to do another one because I didn't believe that I did it because I went, did I, did I really just do that? And so I did it twice because I actually, I couldn't, I couldn't believe that I'd done it. And even now, like when someone says you did that, it seems amazing to me when I think of someone else doing it. But when I think of myself doing it, I go, maybe, maybe I didn't do the full race. Like, how did I, how did I do that? But, you know, and it was so long ago, my last full Ironman was 2013. And then I retired as an age group. And then, (laughs) and then uh, I found yoga because my body was so broken. But the crazy thing is I went, I went into yoga as a triathlete. So I went in and I did, you know, I did 90 days straight because I couldn't start. And then I went and yeah, and I started, I did two to three classes a day and I did 16 hours of yoga a week. Yeah. So, so you you approach yoga, which is so funny. You know, we talk about <laughs> yoga first, sort of. You approached yoga like you were doing a, an Ironman again, yeah. Yeah. Um, with that same intensity. And but what's nice is that as you stuck with it, and this is for people who maybe haven't explored the yoga journey or or can attest to this. When you stick with it, you see there's so much more than that physical piece and the beating oh, up gosh. and the bending and I and the and the winning it. I have to get this pose. Mm. Um, into all of the other sweet stuff. Which- well, the irony was that I, I, you know, I was sick of triathlon and I was tired, my body was tired and I had no social life and I was boring. I was a boring woman. And I thought if I'm ever going to have a social life, then I think I need to stop, you know, training 25 hours mm-hmm. a week. Yeah. Um, it is, it's a job. It's a job. Yeah. And I had sure. a full-time job as well. Yeah. So... So I started yoga to heal the injuries in my body. But then I approached yoga with the same intensity that I did triathlon and I ended up injuring myself. So, yeah, I I kind of went the long way around trying to find softness. And then eventually, you know, I, I eventually found that as well. And I'm far less, I definitely do not do 16 hours of yoga a week anymore. Um, but I still, I still kind of like doing three things a day. I don't know if it's the triathlete in me. So I, yeah, I like to do yoga and then I like to do cardio and then I like to do weights and that's, yeah, I try to get that in a day, but and you have time right now. So yeah, so that's what, that's what we'll talk about. So, so every, you know, everyone's life shut down in mid-March as did the entire world. So that was one thing that was so interesting. And, and Natasha and on our, in our group, um, we have an eclectic continental group that would get together and chat and we always do our, our crew, our little tribe from all over the world. But it was such an interesting thing to have all of us be going through the same thing no matter where we were. And so even for Bali, although you've been very fortunate there to not have many cases and um, there's not as many, I'm going to say not as much illness around, you still mm-hmm. have the ramifications even more so. So so in March, I guess, let's just backtrack. Before everything shut down, what were you doing in Bali and what was your day like? Mm-hmm. Like, were you super busy? Was it relaxing? Because yeah. <laughs> it's um, paradise over there and many people relax, but, yeah, but you're is- living there. Um, so I moved here nearly three years ago, actually. And, uh, so tried a bunch of different, you know, um, roles, businesses. I, because I run education for Southeast Asia for spinning in various Southeast Asian countries, Bali was always a great base because I could, 
um, uh, promote the education, market the education, sell it, and then I could fly in to various countries for a weekend, deliver it, and be back in Bali for dinner time. So um, I was kind of doing that for the last few years. Um, tried my hand at a business, had its own little um, sad story and ending, but uh, I kind of got to the end of last year and I went back to Australia because I thought, you know what, Bali, maybe Bali doesn't really want me. They say Bali, it's the island of the gods and uh, they either want you or they don't and if even if they do want you, they'll test you. It's, it's a very spiritual island, Hindu belief. Um, so I kind of went, you know what, maybe she doesn't want me. Maybe I should go home. And uh, while I was home over Christmas, I was offered a job to come back to Bali, which was in a stunning Australian-owned, um, beautiful five-star resort here on the island, which was very well known for running fitness and wellness retreats and also a beautiful destination wedding hotel. Um, so the role I was uh, put into was a combination of wedding um, and event management and also, you know, teaching fitness and yoga to hotel guests. So it was, you know, and in Bali, you know, living mm. Bali lifestyle. So it was a pretty yes. amazing um, opportunity for me to roll into after kind of not really sure what I wanted to do, you know, when I grew up. So, um, yeah, I thought, all right, well, I'll give it a crack. I'll give it six months and see how it goes. And uh, typically my role at the resort would have – I was really busy – booking out weddings for the year. We had 38 weddings booked in over a six-month period. We delivered one wedding at the end of February and then corona hit. Bali went on um, complete lockdown from international tourism and the island basically evacuated. So Bali is an interesting place because although um, it is part of Indonesia, it's a Hindu island, and uh, the tourism here makes up for, I think, you know, 85% of um, the economy of the island. Very popular with Australians, international tourists. And um, so a lot of people live here. It's very cheap, affordable living. You can fly in and out of the rest of Asia. So there's a lot of expats that have moved to Bali. A lot of people work online. Um, but even the expats that live here left the fear mm -hmm. of all knows, you know, God was put into everyone. And so the island basically, you know, um, emptied out. I was uh, in Singapore picking up my um, visa. I was on the last flight allowed back into Bali oh. um, on the 16th of March. And uh, our hotel has 106 rooms. I got back. I had to quarantine, home quarantine for two weeks. Um, I was fine. And then when I went back to the hotel, there were two guests in the hotel. So, and uh, so, so crazy, right? yeah, oh other gosh. than the 48 weddings I was due, 38 weddings I was due, um, we had 130 yoga and fitness retreats. We would have five or six retreats having it at once. And our, you know, the work was a lot initially just via email, all these people panicking, cancelling, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? Shuffling, reshuffling. Um, so initially it was it was pretty intense for us in an administration role, trying to keep the hotel afloat, trying to calm down people. And, you know, I'm dealing with girls, you know, planning their dream weddings, you know, mm -hmm. and not, not all those brides, not to, broken yeah, brides. 
Of course, and not to minimise, you know, people are dying in the world and come on, sister, it's just a wedding. But, you know, it's a big deal. Some of these girls have booked in two, three years in advance and to be told and they were supposed to get married in two weeks. You know, it was, it was, it was, uh, yeah, a really big um, responsibility to try to calm people down initially. And for us it, it was kind of weird because sun is still shining, surf is still sweet, it's beautiful outside um, and it just got really quiet really quick. Yeah. Um, and, and none of us at that point knew, right? Even for you talking with a bride, you couldn't, you know, they want us to give the magic answer, whatever it is, whatever yeah. it is. Well, when can I have it? And you can't say, okay, in three months, everything mm. will be fine. Let's push it. You know, that was a whole other layer that added to yeah. what you do. I've moved, I moved, I have moved some weddings four times. Because oh. these girls were getting married in April and so we picked up all the April, May, June weddings and moved them to September, October, November. And then most of our weddings are Australian and our retreats are Australian and then the Australian government was saying no travel, no travel for three months, for six months. I mean the Australian government is saying they don't want people to travel internationally until 2022. Ooh. So, um, yeah, it's and it and it and it's a – it's a challenging position to be in because, you know, I work for an organisation that has, we have 200 incredible um, Balinese staff who um, live on what we would consider maybe a nice dinner out. And mm-hmm. uh, in order for the hotel to stay afloat, um, they went on half pay, so two weeks on, two weeks off, and then, um, you know, uh, 10 days on, three weeks off, and then so just to try to keep everyone employed. And um, so then it gets tough because people are emailing me saying, oh, my God, we've lost our $500 deposit. And, you know, the Australian government is paying a lot of money for unemployment benefits. And, you know, some people are getting $6,000 a month in unemployment benefits in Australia. And uh, people here, you know, $25 a month will feed a family. So then it kind of got hard to be overly sympathetic with the tragedy (laughs) of these people. Um, But, yeah, we we have needed to be incredibly resourceful because now, seven months later, um, the island is even emptier than it was in March and, you know, we have stayed open. A lot of hotels have closed. A lot of businesses have closed. It's strange because the island, we still move around. Everything that could be open is still open. They ch- they closed down tourist attractions, waterfalls, you know, beaches initially for maybe a month or two, and then they reopened everything up. They've called it the new normal, so everything is open. Social distancing, people have to wear masks, but other than that, clubs stayed open, yoga studios stayed open, restaurants, mm. everything is open. Um, our Our biggest implication of corona is that no one can get to us. Right. So we, right. you know, we always used to say Bali was a bubble and now we're living even more in a bubble. We're just fortunate that the bubble is pretty beautiful. And so, you know, it's there's beautiful. a lot to be grateful for. It's healthy right now, right? Yeah. So there isn't a lot of illness. So, but it is horrifying because it's the economy there, and it's yeah. so sad. You know, as someone who loves that to go to Bali, and uh, the last time Natasha and I were together was in Bali. She's been living mm. there, and you know, I, I, it was funny. I was thinking um, 
as as I was getting ready to do this that I think I've traveled to more places with you than I have my husband. Yes. Um, Natasha and I meet each other <laughs> in different parts of the world. <laughs> <laughs> She's my wife. Like yeah. I call her my wife. But um, okay, so so things were pretty busy at that point. Now everything's slowing down. And so let's shift this to mm. now you and caring for you and and doing you and um how like so normally right we know like we're fitness junkies and you've already confessed you know you're a workoutaholic but that's one mm. piece of self care but what else mm. were you doing at that point what have you found that you've needed now that's different so i'll also just say that for natasha and i know this right cuz we're besties she's she's not like her whole world isn't online like we've been global as a community and what we yeah. do and like She's talking about her education. So internet and those global connections are very important, mm. but you don't live your whole life online. And on Bali, mm-hmm. everything, you know, it's very in-person. So so now all this hits and that piece doesn't change. And in fact, mm. you've retreated even more because you don't read the news and you don't, mm. you know, you go even more into your whole. So, ha- so I'm assuming that's part of your self-preservation. Mm. Yeah. Well, we- so we initially there was talk of the island that they would um so in the island they have banjars kind of villages and i guess it's kind of like suburbs i guess and uh initially there was discussion that they were going to close down movement between the banjar and i was living in a different area to where i was working and so my delightful um general manager said why don't you move into the resort and i went okay so darn it, yeah, darn it. we have a yeah two bedroom five star villa that you know usually seven hundred dollars a night. Would you like to live there? Okay, um, yeah. So we moved into the resort. I was living in a beautiful yeah villa, rent free, and trying to go yeah this Corona thing really sucks. Um, so yeah, we kind of the first three months there wasn't much work. All the brides had calmed down. Um, I was living in a beautiful area, six hectares, two swimming pools, a gym, beachfront, restaurants, dry cleaning. I had my dog with me. Like it was, it was pretty amazing. And, um, but within that though, I had, um, you know, I'm definitely a creature of routine and habit. And, uh, if I don't have things to do, I kind of spiral downward very fast like I need to be I need to have purpose and not having very much to do within my job I started creating kind of little jobs for myself at the resort I you know redid the shop we have a beautiful boutique I went in there I went can I change the shop window so I redid the entire shop and color-coded everything I actually we painted my boss's office I and Tammy knows because she knows how I am I um (laughs) I, I reorganized my boss's desk and his drawers. <laughs> I'm, I'm so like, I can just imagine every second of this. And he came into work and he opened his drawer. He said, what the hell's happened to my drawer? It looks like a display case because he had protein bars and I put them all. So all the labels were at the front. I was desperate. I was really desperate to find something to do. I have never seen anyone fold or package something like Natasha. Like it's pristine. It is incredible how she opens her suitcase and everything is aligned and packed. It's an aspiration of mine to be a quarter of as organized as she is with everything. So just to put it in perspective. So that was month one in Corona. I I pulled all the things out of my drawers and refolded everything and put them back in and then redid the kitchen. And so I did all, and then I ran out of things to do, but um, I... 
personally and professionally had gone through a pretty traumatic experience last year and I had kind of was still in my own mental recovery I guess I was I had developed some self-care routines for my own mental health and safety and um the first few weeks of when we locked down, I kind of let that go and laziness crept in. And there was something actually um, Catherine was talking about yeah. in her podcast about people that are like high paced and people that are lower and that you can, you know, move down into these super low cycles and end up in a bit of a slump. And I'm I'm either direction, you know, like I can be super fast paced and then when my motor kind of runs out and slows down, when I stop, I really stop. And that kind of scares me a little bit because I can get a little bit too much in my head. So, and it's interesting because this practice that I developed was because my daughter sent me a timetable for her week. So Melbourne was in severe lockdown, like stage four lockdown. And she was, she lives with her dad. Her dad works full time. So she was home on her own and uh, she sent me a timetable of her week. And it was 7am get up, 8am workout, 9am brush teeth, 10am eat breakfast. Like literally every hour of her day was, you know, 9pm watch Netflix, 6pm. And so I looked at it, I went, wow, that's kind of nothing like her mother. But you know, that's, that's actually a really great idea. I didn't go to that extent, but I started with just a, you know, we're planners right? We plan. Mm -hmm. We're the queen of planning the next holiday, the next trip. And um, that's why we, she and I. Yeah, we, (laughs) and we couldn't do that. You know, all our plans that we had for the summer and Miami and all the events that we were going to see each other in. And so it kind of freaked me out a little bit that um, I couldn't plan anything. And so me, typically, I'm a Sunday night, I plan out my week, all my tasks, my agenda, the things that I want to achieve, the people I need to talk to, and I would do it on a Sunday. And I found that I couldn't plan that far in advance because every day was really different. Like one day, this is closing down. The next day, no, that is open. Okay, this day, we're going to do this. And so I decided that I would just do a day plan. So in the morning, I would get up, I would listen to a sermon so you know and pray but I had these five things that I would first I would I would need to pray I would need to move my body however that was yoga fitness or you know go for a run the third one was that I needed to do something productive because there were some days that I wasn't doing anything productive and uh, that kind of freaked me out I needed to make sure that I was doing something of value you know whether it was for my job or for my own personal you know businesses I needed to connect with someone because I'm can be quite reclusive. So I needed to make sure that I either messaged someone, had a conversation with someone or reached out to someone. And my fifth one was an act of kindness that I needed to just do something nice to someone, to for someone or just sit down and have a real conversation with someone. Often my acts of kindness, I will admit, were around dogs. <laughs> I do love dogs and in Bali there are lots of street dogs, beach dogs, so I will admit my acts of kindness usually revolve around feeding stray dogs or bringing dogs home. I am trying to be kinder to people, so that is something that I'm trying to do <laughs> rather than just animals. So, um 
yeah, and so each day I would plan those five things. And even if I didn't do them, at least it gave me purpose and I, I needed purpose just for that day. And uh, I still do it. Seven months later, I, I listen to my sermon in the morning. I write out my prayers. I have a little gratitude exercise and then I write out my five tasks and I drink my morning coffee and I attack my day. And that's it. That's all I got. I got 24 hours. Tomorrow, I don't know what's going to happen and I can only plan it that morning. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's been my medicine. I love that. Yeah, that's it's so huge because like you're saying, I'm a planner like you. You know, we like to look ahead. We like to have the next thing to look forward to. Many people do that. And then again, like you open up your your book and we're preparing for the week. And as professionals, whether you know you have a few jobs, you have a family, whatever it is, we need to look ahead. And so this idea of not being able to do more than a day. And, and honestly, you're right. For many of us, every day was so different that we we couldn't. Um, but I love these five intentional things. And and uh, I think that's such a good practice to share and, you know, to be able to take them and work them into your own life. Maybe it's, you know, a little more specific for each person, but I think you've, you've covered all the basis, mm. right? You have a little little spirituality. You have the physical piece of, of self-care, um, being productive. And that could mean so many things from, mm-hmm. you know, a work, a work task yeah. to a cleaning the draw task, mm-hmm. uh, con- connecting with someone. Yeah. So again, mm-hmm. I do know that you do have a tendency to withdraw. So I'm glad. <laughs> I can. By the way, I, my animals. Yeah. And you do have your love, but it is interesting because when I first asked Natasha about being on the podcast, she was like, mm, she kept deferring, like, what about this person? And what about that person? And I said, okay, she's not sure she wants to do this and that's cool. And I'm just going to, you know, let it settle. And, and then it was a few weeks later, I think you kind of came out of, you know, we, we, we've been doing this, all of us, these roller coasters, these funks. And, uh, you were like, I do want to do this. We, yeah. We together. Well, um, and, and I guess too, because nobody ever really thinks that anything that they're doing is any different or any mm. special. Like even the word special, I don't like using the word special. But um, I think for, you know, I'm middle-aged woman. Oh, God, I hate the sound of that. Anyway, <laughs> I'm a middle-aged woman living in a foreign country by choice on my own I have family. I'm not homeless. Um, I have a daughter. She lives in another country. Like I've I've chosen to live abroad because for whatever reason, I still don't even really know what that reason is. And this is usually a time where people run back to their families and a lot of mm-hmm. us haven't. And so that connection and community and one of the things that you spoke about, you know, this is about living online, you know, I've, I've still, you know, you know, I have 5,000 friends on Facebook and WhatsApp and, you know, we have lots of friends all around the world because of the type of jobs that we have. And so maintaining that connection has been incredible during this time. That's also something that we have always done because we've yeah. had people international, you know, really, Tammy, you know, you and I are probably the most closest of friends and yet we live on opposite sides of the world. But you may as well be my next door neighbour for the amount that we know each other and are close. So yeah. I think for people that travel a lot, we te- we have always tended to have more of an online relationship with people. And right. so it's it's weird because now that more people are doing that, I've kind of done that less. 
And going into Corona, I, well, for whatever reason, you know, I, I couldn't deal with any more drama because I had kind of just come out of, you know, a situation of my own. And I thought I can't, I, and selfishly, I just thought I, I want to live in my little island paradise. The people I speak to, um, who I connect to, my acts of kindness are the people at the resort there. And I was running classes at the resort. So I was connecting with our community that was here. And I was, I taught a class every day up until maybe a month or so ago. Some days there were one people, one person, some days there were 12 people. And so it was important for us and the expats that are on the island and still now to connect with each other. And I guess when you live in a place where there's 6 million tourists on the island, it's hard to figure out who actually lives here and who doesn't. Mm. So, you know, there are obviously so many terrible things about this pandemic, but there's also a lot of really incredible blessings. And one of the things for the people that are still here, it has really forced us to connect with each other rather than virtually, you know. So it's kind of like we've done this flip on how we would normally live our lives as opposed to how we're doing it now. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's interesting. We're kind of the reverse somehow. And it's so interesting how you, you know, everybody reacts differently in these situations and you had, and I know. And so if we, if we do have a season two of, of this podcast, so we'll, we'll see what happens by the end of this. Uh, I'll have to bring Natasha back and it will just be the story because there's yeah. a there's a lot to to get through there. Um so I do know, you know, it was a lot. Uh, it took you a lot to get through it. It was a lot of heavy, dark, um sad trying to find your way, right? And so you had just finally got to this space where there was light, you were breathing, you had this job, like things are moving forward and then this hits. Yeah. So I think it's just so interesting, right? You had to self-preserve and that self-preservation was retreating. And yeah. so on the outside, right, it could look like that's not good for you because you need to, but you found connection, right, in these yeah. other ways and you had to preserve, like by shutting off that, you yeah. couldn't take on Mm-mm. more. And there was certainly, you know, we look at friends and colleagues and businesses all over the world and there is so much uh, yeah. to take on. And yeah. so I just love, that initial, you know, because these are the things that I think our our bodies or our minds automatically do for us that maybe we didn't intentionally set out, but it's the thing that really ends up serving and protecting us. And so, mm. you know, now that you're kind of on this side, it's like you're opening up, like we chatted beforehand, what's happening over there? You know, mm. we laugh about like you haven't watched the news and, um, well, but it's okay. It, like it's yeah. okay. And I, it's interesting because I, I went off social media all of last year because yeah. I, I, for personal reasons, I watched a couple of, you know, documentaries on Netflix and I just thought I, I want to live in my life. I don't want to, I don't, and I think when you live internationally, it's like this highlight reel, oh, yeah, Bali life and Bali living and, you know, my life is such a postcard. And it wasn't, you know, and I went through lots of struggles last year and, but of course I'm not going to share that online. And so I completely disconnected from social media privately. I had business pages that I was still um, using and needed to manage. And um, I I was already kind of accustomed to not really falling down that rabbit hole of, you know, you look at one thing and then three hours later you're scrolling through. And and I think one of the reasons I came off social media is because I'm 
sensitive and not, I, you know, we know we're very emotional, but I'm sensitive to things and people. And so if I sit next to someone that is really sad, I get really sad. If I hear a story or I see pictures, it stays with me. And I'm overly empathetic and I'm overly sympathetic to the point that I go and do things. And so at the start of all of this, I was not in a place that I could be empathetic or sympathize. I couldn't go through anyone else's disaster because I was still recovering from my own. But I, I'm so glad because I, you know, and it's interesting, I was on Facebook for 30 seconds yesterday and I am doing different things on social media and I've, you know, whatever, and my, my, my superpower, it was something that I was thinking of, you know, before, if my, if I had a superpower, it's to connect people. And so that's what I do on social media. I create groups and I bring people together. And, but, um, I was on, you know, Facebook for 30 seconds and someone posted a really beautiful picture of somewhere, California, can't even remember. And the comment below said, amazing, the pictures look beautiful, but did you feel safe? Mm. And I just thought, oh my God, that is so sad. Like that, that the first thing that this person thought of was that there's so much fear. Like I have, my whole life has been try to live more courageously and try to move away from my own fear. Right. And so this pandemic is so, it's, it's fear enabling. And I, again, I I can't be a part of it. I can't be a part of the hysteria and the numbers and the media and the news and I just can't. And the thing is I don't have to be because I have chosen to live on a remote island that nobody can get in of and out of and I'm safe. The people around me are safe. I obviously talk to my family and I know that they're okay and and maybe that's really selfish but my 100% of my existence is this moment, is you is you and I, because I haven't looked on Facebook and I haven't read, I don't know what's going on with Trump and I don't care. I'm, I'm not an American citizen. I don't live in America. You do. And if it's, a, if it's affecting you, you and I will have a conversation, but I don't need to read about it. And so I'm more interested in connecting with real people and having real conversations about how they feel about what they read rather than me allowing, I don't know, the, the secondhand information affect me. I just, yeah, I'm, I'm not interested it, in it. It's so important, right? It's your self-preservation. And at some point, I think we do get to a stage in our life, especially as an empath, like you're saying, and you, you take on and you are concerned. And I can attest because if there's been a cause that's been near and dear to anyone's heart, like she takes it on and she'll raise money and she'll, you were in South Africa, like, because you, you know, Natasha is so that person. And it's one of the things that I love so much about you, right? You're so passionate in anything that you do. You really, um, you feel it viscerally and we tend to feel things. So so the fact that the two of us have been on this conversation this long and haven't cried in front of you all is is a miracle. We're doing so great. We're doing awesome. Yeah, we really are. (laughs) But, but it is, you know, we, we, I think it's part of the self-care and part of this whole thing is knowing that in order to care for myself, I need to pull Mm -hmm. back, right? These need to be my boundaries. And this is what I, I can do and see, and this is what I can't. Mm. And 
and God, that's so healthy, right? But we're mm. not good at setting up the boundaries. We're we're really not as yeah. as humans. So I just admire that. It's really mm. not easy. And I'm sure that coming out of your, you know, trauma and and where what had brought you to to that moment in in mid March when all of this happened, you know, that is it was self preservation at that point. You were like, I can't go backwards. Mm. I can't go down mm. that spot again. And it can um, be just as simple as in any activity. Is this, is this, is this adding joy to mm-hmm. me in this moment? And there were times where I literally was living for split seconds of joy, like that. That was my survival mechanism. I was so sad and so you know, so dark and so empty that it was like I I couldn't see past you know the sadness. It was like I just hugging my dog gave me a second of joy. So I'm going to do that, and so. I look at things now in, you know, levels of, you know, is reading some Facebook post about something going on or some Instagram feed about does this give me joy? Does this does this make me happy? No. So then I don't have to do it. Um, and it and for me it is as simple as that at this time especially because we are on our own and, uh, yeah, and I don't have my family around me. And so taking care of myself, I am 100% my family. I have two dogs, so they're my family, and we are our own existence. So, um, yeah, pockets of joy in the day, whatever that is. Yeah. I love it, pockets of joy or filling your pockets with joy. Yeah. Um, and so so I know, right, so, so – <laughs> So truth be told, right, I love to be very real and authentic in all of this, as you know, but Natasha and I did a first run of this podcast <laughs> and it was, a, I'm not going to say it was a right. disaster. It was really she and I having a conversation about this that we really needed to have. It was well over an hour. There was multiple times I <laughs> couldn't get my words out. It was mortifying. Um, so I'm so glad we're doing such a better job. But Natasha brought up this um, incredible little little activity that she's been doing. And so the thing is, when she and I started this conversation, the first podcast, she didn't know she would be airing on Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving week, that that, that was the theme. So she brings up this activity and it so fit perfectly. So although it's not a beautiful segue lead in, it's something that before our time is done, I really need you to tell people what you've you've been doing or what you discovered. And I love it. So I, I would love for people to put this in to their life if they can. Yeah, of course. I was thinking the other day, because I, I now knew, I knew that we were going to talk about this. I am, um, <laughs> so I'm not American, obviously. And so I always thought the ritual of Thanksgiving was kind of strange, because I thought it's kind of like Valentine's Day, you know, you tell the person you love, you love them one day a year, and then the rest of the year, you're, you know, you're kind of not very loving. And so Thanksgiving to me was like, well, but shouldn't shouldn't you know me? Shouldn't you just be thankful all the time? And uh, you know, we you know we have gratitude journals and all these things about you know morning intention. And but I did hear um, a sermon recently, and the pastor was talking about his daughter that was not just creating a gratitude journal, but he she was writing down three things that she was grateful for every day, and that. She would write them on little post-it notes and then she would put them in a jar and so different things and so that at the end of the year she would have, you know, over a thousand different 
things that she would be grateful for. But the thing that I liked the most was that he also said, and on any given day where she was sad or she was grumpy about something, and she, it was her that said it to him, and she said, and Papa, and she said, and if there's any day where I don't feel grateful, I know I can go into my jar and remind myself. Mm-hmm. And so I went, that is an awesome idea. Um, and because like, so I always wanted to keep a gratitude journal. It was like, oh God, another journal that I'm going to write into. And so I started it straight away and I got, you know, different colored post-it notes. And one of the other things that he did say, because the sermon was about gratitude, which I loved, was that there is vertical gratitude to God and horizontal gratitude to the people around you. Oh. And that, yeah, right. And I, so I have a whiteboard in my kitchen and I wrote that down, you know, vertical gratitude to whoever your God is, whatever it is, you know, however you call it, you know, thanks be to heaven, you know. Who, uh, and, but then also we kind of forget to be thankful to the people around you rather than, yes, God is, or whoever it might be, is creating the favor, but the people around you are, are the ones that are actioning it, you know. So I love that. And and the thought of that then being a cross as well. So, yeah, so I have a jar of all my little colorful Post-it notes. And um, it's actually pretty hard to think of something different to be grateful for every day. So that's kind of the challenge, you know. You can't say I'm grateful for the sun shining, you know, 60 days in a year. So, Although um, when you're in Bali, that is the first thing you think of when you wake yeah, up I in do. the morning. Yeah, I do. I kind of did that one first. <laughs> I run it. I run it. Yes, the other day I said thank you for the – it was raining. And so I said, you know, I'm grateful for a rainy Sunday. Um, mm. The week before it was for a sunny Sunday. So you're in there. You're in there in big, bold capital letters. You're in there grateful for Tammy. Um, Yeah, I I do. I love this. I love this practice. I love that you're doing it. And it is, I think it just takes that idea of the journal. And when you see that jar sitting out there and you know what it stands for, and we do have those days, all Mm -hmm. of us, especially now where we could easily, you know, and, and if you need to lay in your bed for a day and not get out, I totally encourage that too, right? That's self-care. But sometimes to get out of that, we do need those reminders. So being able to stick your hand in and seeing that reminder, and it's not from a book, it's not from a movie, it's not from someone else, it's your own. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just thought that that was really such a special Mm. treat. So I do challenge all of you to find a way to to put that into – you know, even if it can't be every day, at least every week, somehow a a manageable way to remind yourself because, um, yeah, it's that that gratitude can be super powerful. There was something that Catherine spoke about, which I really loved because I listened to her podcast today about the actions then become habits and, you know, these rituals. And I love that. And so this is the thing, you know, you go, oh yeah, okay, I'll do it once a week. It's much harder to develop a ritual once a week because then you go, what day did I do this again? So I'm terrible at that, whereas I'm really good at methodical. I am going to do this every day. I'm going to do this every day. And um, that was the thing with this. I just thought, you know, it's part of my, you know, journaling in the morning, three things, write it down. And uh, it's kind of fun because I've had to upsize my jar already three times. So I've got to look, <laughs> I gotta look for a bigger jar now. So it's getting bigger and bigger. So something fun. to really look forward to when yeah. I come visit you again. Yes, you can pick them out. Yeah. Um, so I just, we'll just have time for one last little bit. And it's my one thing that I love to ask everybody. And obviously you all know you're listening, like Natasha and I have been very close for a while. We're definitely besties. And um, I do rely on her. Oh gosh, Aww. I'm 
trying really hard and I've done so good. But I just need to ask you, you know, in all of these times and the ups and the downs, like how how are you right now doing as your own best friend? You are your own family. So yeah. how are you doing with with all of that uh, day in and day out and, mm. and really showing up for yourself as your own best friend? What is What is that like right now for you? Being more allowing, mm. you know, I am the queen of, and it was interesting, the Brene Brown book, and she talks about perfectionists and how, you know, we walk around like we're God's gift to, you know, creation and everyone wants a perfectionist. And it was interesting because in her book, she talks about perfectionists kind of being, you know, the the problem child. And uh, it's a hard uh, cross to bear. And I have over the years kind of driven myself into exhaustion and and for no real reason other than just striving for this level of something that nobody else really cares about. So um, during this time, you know, yes, I might have my five tasks. If I get to four, then that's cool. If I get to none, that's cool. If some days I don't want to do anything and I do absolutely love Netflix marathons and I do that. And um, so just yeah, allowing myself to be less is my act of kindness. The same way I would for you, you know, trying to be as nice to myself as I would be my best friend. So, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And it is, it's it's permission. And I think we do learn enough from our mistakes and from the, the hardships that we face that we do have to ease up on ourselves, right? That that I, I think we've talked about this less is more. We've we've definitely talked about that motto before, but we are right, and especially in fitness, and we have to get a, get ahead, and we have to be proving ourselves and putting putting things out there, and it's just a lot. It can be a lot. So I just, yeah. for me, I'm going to say, for me, it makes me so happy to hear you say that because you know um, how I, I normally. <laughs> Yeah. And I know it is what I would tell you. I know yeah. I've hugged you tight and told you like it's okay and like it's not going to be perfect and it doesn't it doesn't matter but we have these ideas and images in our head so it does take us a while. We need to be beat over the head with the lesson many times before we can also uh often, yeah. also often, you know, adhere. So mm-hmm. I love that you're allowing and um it and surrender that's that's definitely my word it has been for a while now yeah definitely but allowing yourself to be less doesn't mean that you are less right so I think that that's also Mm. just really important right so you can allow yourself to be less whatever that less is oh and less manic less frantic less busy not less as in less of myself but just absolutely don't always have to be you know running seven businesses and yeah. So, and this year has been good for that. Facebook group and a a 10 week chin up challenge. And yeah, yeah. I do have a few things happening this October though. So yeah, next month I'll do less. (laughs) November. This month is not a good example. Damn it, Tammy. (laughs) Um, so definitely we'll, we'll look forward to, uh, episode two on the next podcast where we can dive in deep and, um, and talk about rising from the ashes. That's a whole other lesson in self-care in itself, but, Mm -hmm. but gosh, it really is 
we do this. I know we talk, but like, it's so nice to have these conversations with you um, because I, I do know where you've gone through and this just makes me feel like you're in such a good place. And even though the world around us and the, there's things that will shake us that I feel like you're more grounded and, and that you're in a being, place where you're being, yeah, being stuck in Bali it was, is definitely a blessing. So whatever powers got me over here, because I really didn't want to come back here, whatever powers got me over here, I let's let's call him God, because I think it was him. Yeah, he was definitely on my side. So I've definitely been protected this year. So, well, I love that Mother Bali is embracing you with big arms, because yeah. that means that that's where I'll meet up with you again yeah, next. Can't wait. You're all invited. Please come soon. We're so, we, we, need, uh, we need some fresh faces. We're getting sick of looking at each other. Well, God willing, we will all be able yeah. to hop on planes and travel the across the borders again soon. Um, I really, really thank you for this time and for our second go at it. Not we that did we might. So well. <laughs> <laughs> we did so much better. Um, yeah. So thank you for all of the little tidbits that you've shared. Mm. And um, I am grateful for you. I'm grateful for you. Thank you so much for listening in on this episode, and it has been my honor to share it with you. I'm hoping that you're in a space where you can close your eyes, and if that's not safe for you, then please don't. But close your eyes and take a really full, deep breath, and then exhale and let it out. Let's just share a moment of silence to honor Natasha. Thank you. I'm hoping for those who knew her, this gives you more connection to her in a in a way that we've sort of been searching for these last few weeks. And for those who have never met her, I'm hoping that you too feel the superpower of her connection. Natasha and I definitely were able to share not only so many memories and, and moments, but how important we were to each other. I really, really was so grateful for her and always will be. For many of us, the next time we put our feet in the sand and see the ocean waves, that's when she'll be right there with us. I'm so sorry. (laughs) This is not what this podcast is about, but obviously this is what happens in life. I need to be a little kinder to my own self as I'm healing. And I ask you all to do the same. Yeah, so we're just going to leave that there. I'm just going to take a deep breath with all of you. I'm going to close my eyes. We're going to sigh it out. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourself, please. I actually think that re-airing this episode is perfect and segues beautifully for our guests for next week. I never really know the order that these will end up. I mean, ultimately, of course, I get to decide, but I 
you know, have, have just been recording as I finish them up and uh, putting them in order. And it's coincidental that we leave our soul sister and move into soul sisters, the real deal sisters, Joy and Dawn Bennett, their maiden names, who uh, have a company called Bringing Joy, which is coaching, counseling, and consulting. And I think it's fitting to share with this beautiful conversation with more sisters and that idea of what it means to be a sister to each other. So please listen in because it was, again, another lovely opportunity for us to be real and authentic and to get some incredible words of wisdom for from these two women who do the work every day and still are like you and I, it's still work. So please tune in next week to Living Well While Living Online, a production of the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio. Thank you, listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to the team that puts this together, to David DeRoche, the executive producer, Renette Chafu, the producer, and to Scott Holmes for the music. You can find more of these podcasts or uh, the other podcasts produced by Quinnipiac at uh, the platform or app of your choice. And drop us a line at qupodcasts at qu.edu. And please follow us at qupodcasts on Instagram. We always love an extra follow. So until next week, my friends, be intentional, breathe deep, and learn to be your own best friend.